You're listening to Dig Deep on KAXE, KBXE. We are talking with our liberal commentator, Aaron Brown from Minnesota Brown, and our conservative, Chuck Marone. You know him from Strong Towns. They are back with us. We're talking about the world right now in 2021, insurrection, dictatorship. Was that a couple of the topics we heard at the very end of our last segment? Um, Let's talk about what happened January 6th and where we go from here, especially as I think, Chuck, you referred to it as kind of the insurrection adjacent. So people that may have some (laughs) of the same ideas, but we're not there storming the Capitol and causing violence. Um, But let's just kind of break this down, what you guys are thinking from your points of view of where we're at right now in our country. Let me let me quick set this up and then I'll, I'll head to Aaron because I think Aaron had some profound things to say on this. I, I, I think that there is this question. You saw a, a big backlash, even in Republican circles, with the individuals who stormed the Capitol. This was beyond the pale. And I think a lot of people who had been sympathetic to Trump found their courage, whether it was because he was on his way out and it's easier to stab Caesar when you're not the first one and it looks like he's going to die, like then you can go ahead and put your knife in too. Or, you know, just because they they maybe on principle thought, you know, this is a step too far. There's a universal uh, agreement, I think, amongst Americans that this was repugnant. Like, this is not who we are. We do not want people storming the Capitol with Confederate flags and guns and, you know, zip ties and, and you know, defacing our monuments and what have you. Like, this is not who we are. There's this question, though, about what you do with the people who are, in a sense, adjacent to the people who did that. I haven't seen anyone who said we shouldn't arrest those people and try them and what have you. But what do you do with the people who are adjacent to them, the people who are sympathetic to those notions, the people who look and say, yes, this isn't what I would have done. I would not have stormed the Capitol, beat up cops and done this. But I, I share the same things that motivate them. I feel this election was stolen. I feel the system is corrupt and doesn't represent me. I feel like I'm not going to be treated well or like an American. I feel like my country is being stolen from me. Quite frankly, I'm empathetic to some of those things. I don't know as I believe it as strongly as some of the Trump supporters have believed it. But I, I'm, I'm empathetic to that because I can see from where I'm at. I can see some of those concerns. This is not a small minority of people. I mean, you're talking 20% of the electorate, 30% of the electorate, maybe, maybe more, who have these proclivities that are, you know, are we just going to say are completely unjust, unreasonable, like you can't hold these views? What do we do with this group of people who is outside of, I'm going to say this, and I say this, and I'm putting myself with this group then by saying this, is outside of the mainstream of what is considered New York Times Washington Post, corridors of power type of acceptability. They're outside of that. What do we do with them? And I I think that's a big open question right now because ignoring them or pretending they'll go away is not really an option. And I don't think like the craziest things that have been proposed, like re-education and all this, is not really an honest, I mean, that's not going to, no one's going to do that. So what do we do with them? Because there's a lot of hopelessness in that group right now. Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't really think in terms of, you know, what do we got to do to fix the 30% of people who believe this this stuff, which ranges from the legitimate concerns like 
being concerned about the role of uh, authority in the government, you know, how much happens that we don't know about inside of government. These are, I think, fair and reasonable things for citizens to be concerned about. But then there's also a lot of, and, and what we see with this incitement of, of rioting that had occurred on January 6th, which is, you know, not that long ago. It feels like ages ago. But with the incitement of the riot, a lot of the incitement was, you know, they're, they're doing things in that building that are, they're destroying our democracy. And there's this almost like uh, a false reality that was pitched. And you're actually hearing it now. And granted, they're under arrest and trying to defend themselves in court now. But the people who, who went into the Capitol are saying things like, you know, I, I was, I believed a lot of things that I now realize that weren't true because I was told this either by the president or, or, or others. Uh, and, and others is probably the bigger factor because there's a whole media mechanism of kind of this underworld. And I don't think it's the only underworld out there, but it's an underworld of networks of people who only talk to each other. And they're big networks, big networks. You can live your whole life listening to and watching media produced to make you think the way the people who stormed the Capitol think. It's not that hard. In fact, I I read a piece, a guy signed up for a Facebook account and said, I'm going to act like I support the president, Trump President Trump at the time. And I'm just going to say I do. I'm going to like him and a few other things and just see what comes my way. And, and, and it takes you down a rabbit hole where you can live. And a lot of people do. And a lot of people in my life live there. And, and this is where it gets tricky because there's no way. I mean, Chuck mentioned re-education. No way that it's going to work like that. Because, you know, and this is why this talk of civil war is so, so I think, even more disturbing in some ways though I wasn't around in 1860, 1860, you're talking about geographic areas that can be identified, you know, states seceded. And while not everybody in the state of South Carolina supported secession, most people there did, at least, again, the landowning voting citizens, white men at the time, that's how it worked. But now, and we've talked about this before, the civil war is between people in the same family, in the same community same neighborhood. How do we fight each other? Over what? For what? And that's where this gets really disturbing. And I think that's what, why this event was so disturbing. It was, it was the, the normal thing happening the way it's supposed to happen, the counting of the votes. The, everybody has a, a, almost a ceremonial role to play in this whole thing, though there were some people arguing against the votes at the time for various reasons. But then people kind of just busting in and saying, no, we're not going to do that. Is that, is that how it's going to be for my local city council meeting? It could, I could imagine, you know, if the people got ginned up online about some of these things that local governments are now taking on for various reasons, national issues being localized, and then people fighting it out in city halls and county boardrooms. This is the disturbing thing about it. And I think one of the most disturbing things is the sense of something was broken on January 6th that even if we prosecute the people involved, heck, even if we impeach former President Trump to as to codify the wrongdoing. No, something is much bigger out there that is not resolved. And that is our divided reality, our divided view of reality. And I don't know how to fix that. Education is what people often say. And I'm an educator. I don't think it's an, it has to be a shared experience, a shared value. You have to find that somehow or we're just going to it's just going to get worse let me make a couple quick observations because i think 
there was one part of me that when this was going on was was equally shocked, but also kind of uh, thought, well, this, this is a, a small group of people. This is being kind of blown into a big deal. But then I started to think about this historically. And I mean, you have things, you, you go back through American history and you have events like the Boston Massacre, which is just a handful of people. I mean, it's just a few people who created a, a small little scene, a small little riot, and some British troops opened up on them, scared for their own lives. And this really like sparked the American Revolution. Uh, you have Harper's Ferry. Mm-hmm. which was really like a crazy dude and a handful of people attacking a government installation that ignited basically was one of the kind of ignition signs to the civil war. I think to a, a, a lesser degree, although I won't discount it all that much, it's, it's more recent, but Kent state, you know, I, I think if you look back into the sixties and the historically the, the protests and the changes that were going on there and just how that was, kind of a wake-up call to people. I don't know if there's another one that jumps out at you, Aaron, or not, but... All good examples, but I think history is full of events that could have been dismissed as small things yeah. that actually became quite large. Yeah, that's exactly the, the point I'm making. So I, I feel like the thing that needs to, to happen, and it's it's easy for me to see what progressives can do. It's harder for me to see what conservatives can do. So let me let me give a few things that I think progressives can do, and then be willing and open to listen. Is this to. advice, Chuck? Should I? I'll no, take, no. I'll but take I, when you look at the stop the steal idea, the idea that the election was stolen, I, I think that Joe Biden was elected president, and I don't think that uh, you know. While, while I'm not a hundred percent confident that we threw together a completely untainted election, um, it, it's like any kind of set of conspiracies. If this all came down to a thousand votes in Philadelphia, I would have a lot more concerns. The fact that this was like six states that, yeah, by very close margins, but went the other way. There isn't six corrupt secretaries of state of both parties and different governments that are all conspiring to do this. I mean, just the mathematics of it make me comfortable with a Biden victory. But if you look at, I think, the the legitimate parts of this, what you have to recognize is that the institutions of the country, whether we're talking about the the main forms of media, the educational system from universities on, on down, public employees and, and, and really government bureaucracies, they're not just over-representing progressive points of view. They're actually like dominated by progressive points of view to the point where conservatives have largely given up on them. Conservatives will say, we'll have Fox News, and it becomes like the laughing stock of all other news. But but there's a reason why they've chosen Fox News, because in the rest of the news, the point of view that would be empathetic to them or begin with an understanding of their worldview is not only marginalized, it's, it's, it's almost non-existent. It, it's a caricature. I think that if progressives want to try to start to heal what is broken, they actually are going to have to, and I know this goes against the idea of like, defeat your enemy, rub their nose in the dirt and like move on. I I think they're going to have to actually humble themselves to recognize that conservatives, not the caricature that they've made them, not the stop the steal conservatives, not, I think that that has been a reaction to, uh, you know, that isn't, but I think true like conservative thinkers actually have a lot of value to add to the country and to the narrative and to the conversation. And very much like 
progressives in universities say we need to make sure we have enough black uh, students represented here and enough Asian students represented here, enough Hispanic students represented here, because that's those point of views, unless people are here at the table, are not really authentically represented in a way that we can assimilate in and all learn from and all benefit from. I think that these institutions that lack conservative representation or conservative mindset need to actually become almost in an affirmative action way, going out and finding and bringing in people who could be part of an ongoing dialogue. So people who are outside of these systems feel like their, you know, their thoughts are at least represented in, in what they perceive as the big power centers of the country. Easier said than done, I think is a very difficult thing to do. But I think, you know, unless we are willing to, to take this on, I think the alienation that it, it, it becomes too easy to listen to a Donald Trump or a Ted Cruz or a, you know, go down your list of flamethrowing conservatives uh, say fake news, the media lies to you because there are many, many, many examples of the media, you know, picking up a progressive narrative and then caricaturing. I always joke with people I, I know in the media and I say, yeah, you know, you've got an issue and you go and, and interview the professor from Harvard to get the progressive point of view and then go out to the uh, parking lot at Walmart to get the conservative point of view as if somehow like, you know, those are equivalent type of intellectual conversations. I, th I think that there's a lot better job that could be done in progressive centers of power to actually bring conservatives in than is currently being. It would obviously go a long way if conservatives uh, were brought in these things. I, I know there's an analog to this, and I know conservatives have a lot that they can do as well. I, I think the acceptance of what I think are the, the destructive, dumb narratives, st stop the steal, fake news, these are, these are unhelpful things conservatives tell themselves as a way to kind of cope with what's going on. And I think they need to change. But Aaron, I would be, I would be very open to other suggestions for how conservatives can help bridge this gap. This reminded me of something that drove me nuts a few years ago. A guy I, I know uh, who was in the military, and Chuck, I know you served as well years before this, but during the kind of the Iraq war years, the George W. Bush presidency years, uh, he served in, in one of the branches. I, I think it was the Army. And he said Armed Forces Radio would provide different channels of media for the soldiers to enjoy while they were on downtime. But because it was the military and the idea is it's fair and balanced and you're not trying to propagandize to the troops, the idea is that there'd be options for conservatives and options for liberals. And he said the the conservative option was Rush Limbaugh. You got to listen to the Rush Limbaugh channel and what he, Rush had to say and all of his people. And the liberal option was national public radio. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and so... This brings me to something, because can I identify, and we're on affiliate of NPR right now, so I understand there's some bias inherent in us even being here. But it, can I, as a NPR guy, uh, a, a liberal, yes, but also a consumer of the NPR spectrum of products, uh, can I say that there's a liberal bias built into national public radio? I can say that. I can see that. Um, I can see examples of that. 
But to compare it as the analog to Rush Limbaugh and what Rush Limbaugh or any uh, like Sean Hannity or any of these hosts who, who, who do commentary that is designed to persuade entirely, in, information is merely the vehicle of persuasion. But that's a whole different thing. And, and so if I listened to an hour of NPR and then I listened to an hour of Rush, I would probably come away more conservative-minded than liberal because the goal of NPR is, is not to persuade me. And, and this is where I think it, it's hard to explain to conservatives who don't feel, as you say, represented in the media. Uh, I, jo- I joke. I was the last unironic print journalism major uh, in America back in the early 2000s because there is no you know, print journalism is a tough field these days. You know, these journalists, even the ones that may come across as biased, don't go into this from a persuasion point of view. They, they, they may come to believe things or fall into patterns based on their thinking that, that fall ideologically. Maybe they don't understand the perspective of the religious conservative. Maybe they don't understand the perspective of the educated person who believes in a smaller government and a more restricted um, role of government. Maybe they just aren't around the people to give them those views. And so they don't adopt them. They don't include them. That's a bias, but it's not a mission. It's not their goal as compared with the goal of persuading people. And so what's happened is something that's been really destructive. I think we can maybe objectively say it's been destructive for this country is that in response to what Chuck's mentioned as as the perception of, of a liberal bias in main what quote unquote mainstream media, whether it's your national public radio or your your shows, uh, your your news shows or whatever, has been met with and and really through the law of supply and demand, uh, Rupert Murdoch and friends provided a product to appeal to those who were turned off by what they saw in the media. Maybe they didn't like a lot of it too, is the culture in the times, the, 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 the rise up of people of minority groups and others who are doing things for the first time. And maybe this doesn't sit well with people or, um, you know, the rise of the city and the rise of uh, urban progressivism isn't something that sits well with people. And so that they find comfort in somebody telling them, that their worldview is entirely correct. And then the, the the Fox News kind of programming becomes a safe harbor, but it's not the same. They're not trying to do the same thing. Uh, you know, anyway, I could go on, but but I, I think that, that there's, I hear what you're saying and I see what you're saying, but the response, uh, like uh, having like a conservative affirmative action, like embedding a, a, a really conservative person in the editorial staff of NPR, for instance, as a anal, as a like a antidote for bias, might accomplish something, um, but it wouldn't necessarily bring everybody closer together. Uh, because if you sit and watch Fox News all day, and that's the heavy the heavy users of partisan media and there's liberal partisan media too but if if the heavy users are really indoctrinated in this stuff by choice they're not going to want to listen to the other side at all that's where we are you don't want to hear the other side at all so i I think that's the bigger problem again you guys make me hopeful This is dig, it's hard. To, yeah, this is yeah, dig sorry, deep. Go ahead. No, that's okay. It's dig deep on KEXE, KBXE. In our next segment, we'll talk about this idea called democracy. What was that? Back song. 